I'm Kurt Benkert, and this is Pocket Presence, powered by Sleeper. Here we go. Super Bowl week. We're back. The NFL is back. We're past the Pro Bowl or whatever you want to call that. The Pro Bowl games. Um, kind of a snooze fest nowadays. Seen a lot of hate on social media, but we're on to the big picture. The big deal. We're going to Vegas. We're actually going to Vegas, Tyler. Like, <laughs> we are actually going to Vegas. actually going to Vegas. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking forward to it. We, uh, we get in on Wednesday and here we are sitting here on Monday recording for this Tuesday episode. And we have, a, we have some news. We have some top stories finally. Um, we have a new offensive coordinator signing in Washington. After pulling out of the Vegas job, Cliff Kingsbury sends his whole camp over to D.C. Saw a little Caleb Williams circulation. Um, congratulations story uh, on his Instagram. And also saw that Lincoln Riley made a statement about it, how they were really close. Their bond was really awesome. And obviously a lot of things would have to fall in place for them to reunite. But Lincoln Riley would sure love to see it. And I'm sure a lot of Commanders fans would too. Yeah, I mean, as a Packers fan, I'm hoping that the Bears somehow find a way to mess up the fact that they have what seems like these, you know, once in a generation, Andrew Luck, you know, we talked about Trevor Lawrence this way, and maybe that's a bad comparison now, but <laughs> there's there are these yeah. guys that are surefire number one picks. I mean, Caleb Williams has been like this for the last three years, it seems like. And yeah. if the Bears can somehow find a way to draft the wrong quarterback again, obviously they did that trading up for Trubisky, passing on Mahomes. They could find a way to mess that up again and let Washington get Williams at. I mean, that would be so funny just as a Packers fan. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm just now getting into like diving into the specifics and the details of the tape of these guys. And I have looked at Jaden Daniels. I have looked at obviously Caleb Williams. I've seen a little bit of some other quarterbacks around the bend um, throughout the season and stuff. And I'm like, man, imagine if they just blow it again. Like imagine if they go the Trubisky route again and just completely blow it take somebody like Trubisky over Mahomes and the whole franchise is just continually doomed for eternity it wouldn't be unlike the Bears that's for sure um I also think the Bears do have something good in Justin Fields I think Justin Fields could go to another organization and have success Falcons I'm looking at you um I just yeah the Bears it's almost like uh it's almost like playing fantasy football when you have like a really really good pick on paper but like you have a big decision and mm. you don't really know if, is it going to be Austin Eckler this year? Is it going to be Stefan Diggs? It, like, you know what I mean? Or is it going to be CD lamb who just pops off? Like when you have such a high pick, you almost have so much pressure because when you get like six, seven, eight, like you just kind of take who falls to you. Who's the, like the highest on your board. So yeah, the bear, the bears setting the tone for the entire NFL. This draft is going to be wild. Yeah. What do you think is harder? I feel like in these drafts, we either get, a loaded QB draft class like this. And obviously the quarterbacks are who we're going to talk about the most and who most of the media likes to discuss. Or I remember we were talking about the, the Kenny Pickett oh, uh, yeah. draft class where he was the first guy taken at number 20, where there's nobody. And the best guy out of that draft class was Brock Purdy, who was obviously taken last overall. Yeah. Which do you think as a team, obviously you'd probably rather have more quarterbacks to pick from, but you have this paralysis by analysis where, I mean, if you're in the Bears front office, your, your head is probably spinning of like, you have... I would say maybe up to five guys that could legitimately be good QBs in this league. And yeah. you have to pick between all five of them. That seems like way more pressure than, Oh, all the quarterbacks suck. We're just you know, not going to take any. Yeah, dude. You know, I'm like, I think there's a lot of pressure for them right now because you also look at like, they have just so many draft picks, right? Like they, they could, they could trade back a lot of these picks for eternity and get even more first round draft picks next year. Right. Like they, <laughs> yeah. like it just depends on what they want to do. Do they feel like Justin Fields is the guy? And my, my philosophy is like, 
I think that you have to get quarterbacks with the best value that you possibly can. So like, is the number one overall pick this year worth like is not trading back and giving up that number one pick worth not getting one of the other quarterbacks that might have maybe not as high of a ceiling, but value wise, you get another first pick next year plus this next quarterback that slides, you know? So I'm like, I don't know whenever I'm playing Madden and I'm like that in a like connected franchise and I'm drafting, I'm trying to get as many high quality picks as possible. And I think that's been kind of a theme around the NFL lately is like, how many guys can you hit on in a draft? That's like they're producing in their first four to five years in the league, because that's where you get them for the best value for the contracts. When you're talking about cap space and all that stuff. And I don't know, man, I just taking a quarterback number one overall, when there's a lot of good quarterbacks this year that you could get, top 10, top 20, second round. It almost feels, and same thing with receivers. Look at how many receivers are in this draft. Like if, if it's such a loaded draft, I wouldn't want to be so top heavy and take a quarterback number one overall, unless I feel like he is going to change the future of the franchise. If there's even a question at all that he's not, I'm trading back, dude. I'm trading back and I'm going to turn that number one overall pick into like a top 10 pick into like a top 20, 30 pick, a second round pick. And I'm going to go get a stud receiver another like good high quality quarterback like i'm i don't know man i'm like trying to i'm trying to flip it you know what i mean i completely agree did you see the emmanuel acho take i know you were joking when you said that earlier like they have so many picks so many to mess up but emmanuel acho said a couple weeks ago he's he, he basically made the argument in earnestness that it was a bad thing that the bears had so many picks like they he'd rather them not have as many picks as they do now just because and it seemed like he was just making a complete like it is a funny joke to say yeah the bears have too many picks but of course, you'd rather have more picks than fewer picks. Yeah. It was completely ridiculous. Yeah, he he's something else sometimes. Man. <laughs> I, I think the biggest thing is like sometimes when you have so many picks, like you almost need to like trade them for the future years, in my opinion. Um, I do think though that this draft, this draft class is loaded. So like, yeah, I'm looking at all these receivers, man, and I'm like, dang, you could not go wrong with one of the top five receivers, probably. Like they all look to be next level. And quarterbacks too like you have you have some really good quarterbacks in this draft class that like even if you don't need to play them right now it's worth getting a first or second round quarterback look at what the packers have done right like they drafted jordan love while he was sitting behind aaron some of these teams might be like dang they this might be our chance to groom a high quality guy and not have to go ruin his career by playing him right away so yeah i again the bears need some playmakers they have dj Moore, but like that's pretty much it on offense like they need some studs they need some playmakers they need another like they need another receiver like him um obviously some people think they need a quarterback some people don't like but again nfc north look at the theme man look at the theme of the teams that are competing every year and moving it forward they have a stud receiver and the packers didn't have one stud receiver they ended up with a bunch this year a bunch of playmakers but they have really good lines O-line, D-line, pass rushers that can get and affect the quarterback. That was the Lions recipe, one of the best O-lines in the league, and a like havoc-wrecking D-end. That was it. That's that's really what they leaned on. They had some receivers here and there. They obviously had a quarterback who played really well this year, but like they had playmakers in the line. So, like, I don't know. I think the Bears are needing to sturdy up the line. I think they need to yeah. add one more playmaker on offense. Um, I don't think if, if you throw Caleb Williams into their lineup as it was last year he doesn't win that many games like that's that's really what you're asking like does he change the outcome of the season for us mm-hmm. my answer is not last year yeah one of my favorite examples of this flipping picks 
especially as it relates to like not getting the quarterback you might want. So in 2018, it was the Bills that traded with the Chiefs to allow the Chiefs to move up to 10th overall to pick Patrick Mahomes. And I actually made a video about it last week, trying to make the argument that if you're the Bills, you probably do that again because of the players that you were able to flip with that haul, you know, with that yeah. haul of picks Who you got they from get? Mahomes. You they got Tredavious me? White, they got Zay Jones, they got Deion Dawkins, and they got Tremaine Edmonds, all, you know, with picks that they currently had or picks that they ended up flipping yeah. uh, from that haul with the Chiefs. And it, the next year then, they had a pick that, again, was in the first round that they were able to flip again to move up to get Josh Allen. And I think if you're the Bills, of course, you you drafted your, you know, your, your ultimate kryptonite, right? You, you drafted yeah. Patrick Mahomes. You gave your rival their biggest weapon that has now since come back. The Bills to also you the sucked. They were so bad. Exactly. Like, and you'd like, probably make that, you'd probably make that trade over again. If it yeah. you know, could all work out again, you, you'd probably rather have all those guys and give the Chiefs Patrick Mahomes because you're right. They, their turnaround was pretty incredible. Yeah. And I mean, like the Chiefs were good. Like they were a playoff team, right? Like they were not, the Chiefs haven't really been bad. So when Pat Mahomes took over, he had a good coach good team like they the team was ready for him and that was not the case with the bills the bills were starting from like the bottom barrel of the league at that point so yeah i mean to your point you look at some of these guys who've got like look at what the bears got for bryce young and not to mention you don't know that patrick mahomes is going to turn out to be patrick mahomes like exactly you don't know that and in a different situation in a different offense he might have never been who he is now like that's how the league goes there's some really mm -hmm. talented guys that just don't turn into what they can be because of situations so yeah so yeah. i guess the whole point is like the bears should not be afraid of missing out on the number one guy if they could flip their whole roster and still get a guy down the line you know maybe it's not this year maybe it's next year yeah. and maybe that's not how the front office is thinking it seems like they always have a fire under their ass to find the yeah. guy and there's always a turnover and that's kind of this perpetual you know yeah. uh, the NFL. chaos in the yeah in the in the bears at least all right well you mentioned the the cliff kingsbury news do you like I'm curious, do you think that Caleb Williams could pull off a, I think Eli Manning's probably the last guy to do it, where he's just like, I'm not going to this team. There were rumors that his dad has been outspoken about him not wanting to go to Chicago. It seems like that re doesn't really happen these days, that yeah. a guy says no to one team. Especially, it's funny to think when it's from between the Bears and the Commanders. Like It's not like the Commanders yeah. are this solid landing place either. So I don't, I, I don't know how you see that playing out. Yeah, I, like, I'd imagine that that's not what you want your... Like he's already had some like questionable things happen in the media where people are like questioning his personality, questioning like how he cares himself, all that. I'd imagine that would be the last thing that he wants to like have that stamp as he's entering into the NFL of who he is. So um, I've also seen them come back and say like, Hey, we never said that. Like I've seen his camp say like dismiss those things time and time again, as a human, would you want to go to Chicago and go and like be in that probably like the human side of Kayla Williams, probably not, but I doubt he would say that publicly um or make such a big stink about it that like hey i'm not i'm not doing this you know yeah and we've talked about it between yeah. chicago and washington if, if that's I, I doubt he falls any further than one or two yeah it feels like there's not much of a difference between the you know what's going on there especially given that they both have defensive head coaches we've talked about it a lot where you'd probably prefer you have an offensive head coach who's also your play caller so he never gets poached so that you can yeah. build some sort of foundation but it's not ridiculous to think that Dan Quinn could be out in Washington in a couple of years if things don't go well. Cliff Kingsbury could get poached for another head coaching job if things go well and he ends up there. Same with Matt Eberflus. You know, they just hired a new offensive coordinator. So it's, yeah. I don't think either situation is a home run. And you're right. He probably doesn't want that stink on him saying, no, I don't want to go to Chicago for Washington, which is arguably yeah. not a better situation. The Bears situation also, though, is like, it's not a bad situation because if you look at it, most number one overall picks are from bad teams. 
The Bears are fortunate to have a number one overall pick from another bad team, and their roster isn't terrible. So, like, they could be competing this year. They had a really good defense to end the season last year. They had a good run game. They just, like, were missing some stuff on offense. So, like, they're not far off from being, like, a competitor in that division. So, Mm. as far – but then if you look at Washington, how far off is Washington from being a competitor in the NFC East? Like, Eagles reloaded. The Cowboys are going to be back. Like – they're, the Washington's roster doesn't stack up necessarily the same towards those teams as Chicago does, which is like weird yeah. to say. But like Chicago wasn't a miserable, miserable team at the end of the year. No, so. that's, a, that's a really good point. All right, well, Bears fans, we gave you a little hope, hopefully, that you could land Caleb Williams. If that's what they wanted, I think it's kind of a split camp between Bears yeah. fans, as far as I've seen, of wanting to keep Justin Fields or wanting to move on and, and get Caleb Williams. But we'll have plenty of offseason and talk about the Pro Bowl also just happened, Kurt. Did you watch yeah. at all? No, I just saw a few clips on social media. Um, I think the Pro Bowl is like, it's more of like a fan event. I I think like more meet and greet. I saw a lot of like, I was in Orlando this past weekend throwing at an event and you just saw a lot of kids like Tyreek Hill jersey, like um, Debo Samuel, like a lot of just fans that were gathering to go there um, to hopefully see their guys. Obviously Debo wasn't there, but like you see 49ers fans, you see people just show up in the area like because they want football here in Orlando. Um, I don't think that like, I don't think that the Pro Bowl is like doing it though. You know, like I only cared about the precision accuracy um, with the quarterbacks. That's really the only thing I like even looked for on Twitter. I was like, oh, how do I stack up against that? You know? And then I also was like thinking like the same thing with NBA All-Star Week. Like nobody really tries in the game. It's all about the three-point contest and the dunk contest. Like that's what people care about. And I'm like Pro Bowl watching them do flag football. Like nobody's really, really trying. They're just kind of like, I don't know. I I was thinking like what if they just did something completely off the wall like what if there was like a competitive paintball match you know like what if you just had like your favorite guys like playing paintball like you know what i mean something just completely not football because i think it's just tough to watch professional athletes in their sport play at such a high level on normal sundays and then go and like dumb it down to like of like a 50% version of flag. Like they weren't even like playing competitive flag football, which I think competitive flag football is actually kind of fun to watch. They mm-hmm. were just kind of like oozing around. Like, I don't know. That's, that's my opinion though. I always think, and I won't get too in the weeds here, but I think the league's probably thinking about what they can do from a distribution first perspective. So they want viral social clips out of this. They know that yeah. the linear TV event is probably not the thing people are going to watch. So what can they optimize for? They can optimize to get a half a dozen to a dozen viral clips on Twitter and TikTok out of the weekend. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the best case scenario for them as it relates to promoting the league and promoting their players. And I can imagine they're probably not too worried about how many viewers the Pro Bowl had on TV, whatever yeah. channel it was on. I don't even know where it was. You know, I think checked. they're probably just, yeah, I think they're probably just thinking like, okay, how can we maximize viral potential on this thing? And I think, you know, having them run around, play flag football, do a bunch of these silly challenges where, you know, it's like Jason Kelsey doing a long staffing challenge or the it's kicker. Yeah, you know, the kickers like, doing tic-tac-toe. Those are things I want to see. Like, sure. Just those goofy are, I think those are more, like, the goofy, more, like, those are more fun. I think, like, dodgeball can be kind of fun, but I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Just, like, mix it up. Give us something different. I don't I don't want the main event to be, like, a half-assed flag football game that people are just like, yeah, you can go score. Go have I it. I completely agree. It'd be cool if they even, because you mentioned flag football is now becoming, I mean, it's going to be an Olympic sport in mm-hmm. 2028, whenever the Olympics are in America. Yep. Come It'd back, be cool kid. if like, if CJ Stroud was like the all-time QB of a flag football, because, you know, that doesn't really affect him too much, just sitting yeah. back there and throwing around. But they're actually the, you know, the flag football players that are 
competing Let them internationally. Go get after it. Yeah, like that would be cool. And uh, you know, maybe they have like a team, like an honorary team captain in that sense. Um, and I, I even think from a marketing perspective, it's a great time for the league to be able to showcase its players with its helmets off and let them their personality shine a bit more because uh, that does not happen during the season much yeah. to I mean the NFL is probably the main perpetrator of inhibiting player personality shining but <laughs> it's a it's it, it's yeah. an avenue for them to say like hey we care about the players we want them to show off a little bit and, and, and showcase their brand so you're right it's totally like a a fan first kind of event yeah I'm, I'm with you though I think like it's going to change over the years and like depending on whatever's viral that year right before the event I'm sure they'll try to piggyback off of and do stuff like that but um I think I can speak forever when I what I'm saying, like, I'm glad the pro, the pro bowl is over and that we're talking about real football again. Our mm-hmm. last chance this year to talk about real chance. competitive, just juggernauts going after it. And yeah, I'm, I'm still like, I still haven't picked what side I think is going to win, man. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Like, I don't know. And then for the context of this episode, like we're going to go into the 49ers and like, what is their case for why they should win the Super Bowl? And then the context for Thursday's episode is going to be okay. Chiefs, we're going to go into the context of like, why should you win the Super Bowl? So I think it's like, I think it's time we dive in 49ers. Why are the 49ers going to win the Super Bowl? So we're looking at their offense and they have playmakers all around. They got Brock Purdy. They got CMC, Debo, Kittle, Ayuk, their O-line, especially the left side of that O-line is disgusting. And they have a really good scheme that can exploit, everything and i think we who do we hear talk about it this past week i think it was a former quarterback maybe said that shanahan like when he calls plays um he's just like not even calling off his call sheet he's like he knows where to reference them but he's like waiting to see what play he needs to dial up versus a lot of play callers are calling it in order of like how they talked about it throughout the week so like he really is somebody that's playing chess with whatever's available and you don't know what's going to come up and like as a player you cannot necessarily predict the play call because He's grabbing anything that's available that week in the right situation from what he believes to be true. So like, I don't know, man. I I think like my, my gut is saying like, if the 49ers show up, the 49ers should win this game. When the 49ers show up in any single game this season, they win. And they showed up except for the Baltimore game. When they played Baltimore, they actually showed up in the first quarter, I believe. And then they just kind of dwindled away. They had a little front runner mentality to them. But the 49ers on paper, like they are the adventures. Are they not? Like you yeah. look at them across the board. We're gonna we're gonna take Brock out of it. We're just gonna say these are their Avengers. Nick Bosa, Fred Warner, Debo, Kittle, CMC. Like those five people alone should be able to influence a game and change the outcome against a Chiefs team who, like a lot of us are looking at them, like, how'd you get here? We know how they got there. They got there through Kelsey, Mahomes, and Andy Reid. Like and their defense playing pretty damn good too. Um, but I'm like, something's gotta break here, you know? Like one of the one of these two like stories is not gonna not gonna pan out how they want it to. And I don't know, man. I'm just I don't think that the 49ers lay a goose egg in the Super Bowl. I just sure. I don't. I they did it the first half of the last two games, right? Like that's mm-hmm. I just don't see it happening. Talk a bit about what you've seen in that second half of both of these last two games. Like you said, they, they came out slow in both the divisional round and the NFC championship. And then they seem to turn on the second half, sort of shedding this preconceived notion that the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan can't come back when they're mm-hmm. down. They came back twice in the second half. What was it that was different between that second half 49ers team versus the four, first half 49ers team? Yeah, dude. I think sometimes when you have such a good team, you feel like, 
whether you want to admit it or not, you feel like you're going to show up and you're just going to, you're just going to win. Like you're going to show up and either the guys around you are going to make plays. Like it was almost like everyone was thinking the next person, the person next to them was going to be the one to make the game changing play or to spark it off. And like, nobody was really doing it. And in that second half, the biggest difference was being really opportunistic with turnovers, tip balls, like batted balls that were knocked down. Like on third downs, there was like, like hits on the quarterback affecting his throws. There's a lot of like actual playmaking going on. And I think the other part was Brock Purdy was cut loose. Like he was not, they needed him to be Brock Purdy run around, make plays where when they get in the beginning of games, they don't want him to do that. They like, they just kind of want him to run the scheme, run the system. But like, if they had Jimmy Garoppolo in the second half of both of those games, they would have gotten blown out. Like Brock Purdy is the reason why they won both of those games, whether people want to give him the credit for it or not. But he was the reason why they came back. His ability to run, scramble, make plays, break out of sacks. Like he broke out of like four surefire sacks in two games in the second half of both games. And like those could have been crippling sacks. Could have changed the whole momentum of everything. So it's just, I hope that the 49ers do not go into this game like the Ravens did against the Chiefs and try to feel it out. And mainly feeling it out with Brock Purdy. Like, if they want to win this game, they got to go cut Brock loose early. Let him scramble, mm-hmm. make plays, like push the ball downfield outside of the pocket. Like, they got to let him go outside of the system a little bit and get comfortable because if they do that early, I don't think the Chiefs can keep up. But where the Chiefs do actually make some hay is like they are going to cut it loose on offense, even though they don't have the best playmakers. They're going to rip it downfield. They're going to try to hit hole shots. They're going to try to hit sail routes. Like watching how the Bills played versus the Chiefs, like the Chiefs all all playoff, all Super Bowl run that they've had have been just attacking on offense, even though they don't have the better players across the board. And they're not going to stop in the Super Bowl. Like the Chiefs are well seasoned, in my opinion, for these situations. They're not the better team. They haven't been the better team in a lot of these playoff games, but they find ways to win because they're willing to risk it all. And they're willing to make mistakes, not even just risk it all. Everyone's willing to risk whatever. The Chiefs are willing to make mistakes because they think the risk is worth the reward. And they've been flawless with that. Mahomes has been flawless. So, um, yeah, I think the only way that the 49ers lose, in my opinion, is if they tiptoe into this game. And they're, I don't think the Chiefs are a team that the 49ers will be able to come back on because of how good their defense is. So okay. if they get down, if the 49ers get down early, they're not going to pull three straight comebacks in a row. I don't yeah. believe that. So they got to start fast. I mean, conversely, as we make the case for the 49ers here, we've talked about them coming back these last two weeks, but they're a pretty darn good team when they get ahead. And if they can pull out on the Chiefs, oh, I think a lot of what over. we talked, yeah, a lot of what we talked about last year with the Chiefs and the Ravens was that it seemed like Mahomes was playing safe because he knew that until the moment he had to cut it loose, he didn't really need to make a big play. He just needed to limit his own mistakes because his defense was playing great. But if the 49ers can get up and Mahomes has to play a little riskier, like, mm-hmm. I mean, the 49ers are a fantastic team when, when they're playing with the lead. And we haven't seen that the last two weeks. But if that's the case in the Super Bowl, you could probably see this just being a 49ers get up and stay up the whole, entire game. Yeah, like I, I look at it this way, dude. If the It's going to be whoever, in my opinion, this game is going to come down to who wins the first half. And if someone can win the first half handedly, they're probably going to keep this lead for the rest of the game because neither of these teams, in my opinion, are built to play from behind against the defenses they're playing against. Like, if you look at the 49ers, they came back against two teams that's, that defenses were suspect. The Packers' defense was suspect. 
the Lions defense was super suspect and they had two big comebacks. If the 49ers get down against the Chiefs, that's not a suspect defense. That is a top five defense. Like that, that's not, it just doesn't add up that way. And same thing mm-hmm. with the the Chiefs. Like the Chiefs had zero second half points last game that they played against the Ravens. If the Chiefs get down by 10 points, the Shanahan special is going to run all over them. They're going to milk the clock. Their defense is going to be able to pin their ears back. Like, no lie. All that I'm looking at this game is like, who gets up in the first half? And if anybody does by two scores, good luck. Because neither of these teams, like the matchup wise is like, this game has got to stay close on both sides. If either team wants a chance to win. And as soon as one team pulls away, I think it's over. Let's talk about Shanahan, this offensive scheme. He gets an extra week of preparation. What does a smart guy like Kyle Shanahan do extra in this week to you know, come out in the Super Bowl firing? Yeah, I think what he does better than anyone is his run game. His run plan is like, it's next level. And just some insight on this. Like when we played against the Rams in 2022. Yeah, yeah, last year. So we, we played against them. I was there for two of the games, I believe. Um, basically, there there was a run package in it that had a run and play action package that could have had like six different plays in one play call. And it was all for Aaron Donald. So it was it was like, the I think they called it like Mayday or something. But basically, it was a run to the right that Aaron Donald had to be in a certain spot if we were going to run it. If he wasn't, it was going to be a run to the left. If it was not... Uh, one high shell and it was a two yeah if it was two high shell if it was a one high shell then we looked to where Aaron Donald was and it was going to be a, a play action to a certain side I think opposite of him we were going to play action away push the line to him so we get the slide to him and then it was going to have a crosser from a certain side and then same thing if he was on the other side we were going to flip it and then if there was like one more look man or zone then you had a motion with it so like it ended up being literally six different plays depending on which side Aaron uh, Aaron Donald was on and which side the motion was going to go, whatever. Like, that's the type of shit he had. And I be- I believe it was either we were prepping for that the first time we played them for the second time. Like, we were we were setting it up. And it's just like, that's the type of shit he does. So he is he is the type of guy that's going to use this, the extra time. Some coaches are like, no, we just want to prep as normal. Don't want to, like, overcoach this. Don't want to do too much. He's going to have some run package stuff that's like, going to be dialed up to perfection and it's going to lead to some gashes and it's going to have some play action off of it um but those are the types of things that he likes to do let's flip to the defensive side of the ball now we talked about how the Chiefs struggled last week especially in the second half against the Ravens defense which is good how do you stack up this 49ers defense against the Ravens defense in terms of how they match up with the Chiefs yeah I think that the Ravens defense is the Ravens defense is on paper better and they they played a good game against the Chiefs. They only let up 17 points, all of it in the first half. Um, but I think the biggest thing is with this 49ers defense, they're going to have to be really disciplined in like the flats. So that's where they're susceptible right now to easy plays. You can throw the flats on them. You can throw bubbles on them and all that. And if you saw the Ravens game, Mahomes threw like four or five different bubble screens that went for like 12 yards, 10, 12 yards. They're moving chains at the like throwing the ball at the line of scrimmage. The Niners have got to limit that because – that's already where they're weak. And if you can give Mahomes a free 10 to 20 yards on each drive, the likeliness of them scoring, like especially if he doesn't have to do it, like he all he has to do is throw the bubble. You're still leaving him room to like make a splash play on that drive. So 
They've got to limit the easy completions in the flats and stop the yak because right now Rice is rolling. As soon as he gets the ball in his hands, he's catching, he's getting vertical, he's splitting people. Like He's a threat at the line of scrimmage, and they have to treat him as such. Yeah, talk about what this what these playmakers on defense are for the 49ers and how they how they impact the game. We talked about all the guys they have on the offensive side of the ball, yeah. but equally as many guys on the defensive side of the ball. What kind of you know, matchup problems? I loved our conversation a couple weeks ago about Fred Warner and how he creates so many matchup problems. Like, What are the Chiefs thinking about as they look at these Bosa's and these Warner's and, and the secondary for the 49ers? Yeah, I think right now... <clears throat> The Niners have the ability to play man and zone at a pretty decent level. Like they're they're a better zone team, in my opinion, when people can like match coverage underneath and the hooks and stuff. And the thing with Fred Warner is like he's so good, one, because he he's really smart, but two, he has so much length and athleticism to him as a linebacker that he can cover tight ends really well. He's got a lot of interceptions this year. He's really sticky in coverage, and he is a reason why quarterbacks have to hold the ball a tick longer. And that gives guys like Nick Bosa and Chase Young extra chances, especially in coverage. And so I'm looking at what is Kelsey able to do on the safeties? I think they might be getting their safety back. And what can he do on Fred Warner, especially when it's man? Because Kelsey's a really good zone tight end. He finds the open space. He gets creative in his routes. But like if they decide to man him up with Fred Warner, like I think advantage is Fred Warner. And if they can take away Kelsey and match Rice with um, Traverius Ward, Lamuni. Like that's those are the matchups that I'm looking for. Like, can they consistently win if the Niners like, look, we're going to man you up and you're going to have to beat us like you're going to have to beat us man to man because we're not going to let you just get into the soft part of our zones all the way up and down the field. So I'm really hoping to see for the 49ers if they want to win on defense, are you going to play more man? Are you going to be willing to blitz that extra rusher? Because right now they try to play zone, try to match coverage, and they try to get pressure with four where I'm like. Chiefs O line's playing pretty well. They might be holding like a like like a lot. They might be holding <laughs> a lot, but they're playing well. And I think you're gonna have to bring extra guys and play man to get pressure on Mahomes because the last thing you want is Mahomes to have a lot of time in the pocket and you be playing zone because he will find the open guy. I think the one shaky part of this 49ers team is the kicking game. Jake Muda, we've seen him struggle early in yeah. the season, even a little bit through this playoffs. If you're Kyle Shanahan and you're thinking about going to the Super Bowl, are you are you going to trust your guy? I mean, you've stuck with him, so there's probably a reason. Or do you go into the game knowing like, hey, on these fourth and short situations, on these 50-50 coin flip situations, I might, I'm going to remove that element from from my game plan and just put it into my offense's hands. Dude, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, if I'm Shanahan, I'm like, Robbie Gold, are you free, <laughs> man? Are you like, are you busy during Super Bowl? Because that is an uncomfortable spot to be in in a big game especially when you know that the chiefs on the other side they're kickers money like that that's advantage chiefs so yeah that does change game plan like play calling it changes like that fringe area when you're like on the 42 to the 38 yard line what's that decision going to be in fourth and three like and that's the that's the type of stuff that gives that chiefs team who on paper doesn't stack up life like if you miss one of those, if you miss a field goal or if you like don't convert, that gives them a short field. And like that, that is almost guaranteed points on the board. You're going to tell me you're going to stop Mahomes from getting 20 yards to get his guys in a field goal range. Probably not. Probably not. And it's indoors in a dome. Their kicker is going to hit. Maybe Moody will be better. Or yeah, maybe he'll be better indoors. But I would definitely be like, it would have crossed my mind to be like, yo, Robbie Gold. Want one more shot at this dude? <laughs> like, yeah. I'm probably gonna have to tweet that after this. 
I mean, you're right. Those are minimum six point swings. If you talk about Mahomes getting the ball around midfield, flipping it over and at least letting Bucker get him three points, if not another seven points, you're talking about missing out on three points, potentially giving the chiefs a free three, maybe yeah, seven points. So, I easy mean, six those, to 10 point swing. Exactly. And that's a big deal in these close games. I, I do foresee this game being close. I know we'll talk about the chiefs yeah. on Thursday, but I think they're going to keep it. They're going to keep it close. Yeah, they're going to do the Chiefs. Dude, nothing makes sense. Like nothing makes <laughs> sense with their Super Bowl run. Yeah. But the only thing that does make sense is, is Pat Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Andy Reid, and a, and a really good defense this year. And, mm-hmm. you know, the Chiefs kind of have a little bit of that Packers to them where like these young receivers are clicking at the right time. Mahomes struggled early in the year. The receivers struggled early in the year. They found a way to turn it on for this playoff run. And, they, if you look at them right now, you wouldn't look at the Chiefs and say their wide receiver core is necessarily lacking. Like, they don't look that bad, especially Rice. Rice looks amazing. And Marquez yeah. Valdez Scantling, he stepped up in a big, big play that he had to have last game. Like he has it in him to go be the dagger. So, like, you definitely can't sleep on their receiving core, even though most people, the narrative is like, oh, their receiving core sucks. Like, dude, these playoffs, they've been balling. So they, they didn't drop a single pass last week. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And, I think the last thing that I do want to say before we before we head off, I've seen a lot of talk about the Chiefs and penalties. And the Chiefs, we even saw Nick Bosa, like they hold a lot. And the narrative going around on Twitter right now is the Chiefs are the number one penalized team. Like, no, that's bullshit. They're, they were top penalized team, one of the top penalized teams this year in the regular season. If you look at the postseason, however, when football actually matters, when you know that they were already making it to the playoffs, they're the least penalized team by a mile. Like the Ravens last week, I think had eight penalties. The Chiefs had three, I believe. The Chiefs average on the year, I think it was like 5.7, which is kind of high. The Chiefs average in the playoffs is I think 2.8 or something like that. Like we need to squash the narrative about the Chiefs being the most penalized team because nothing matters in the regular season. The only thing that matters, the only thing in contextually that matters right now is that we're talking about the playoffs. And yes, the Chiefs have been getting, they've been getting some good looks this week or this, these playoffs, this stretch. And I think that's one of the things that's missing in all these narratives. And like the, this, this penalties are coming up a lot. People are talking about a lot. Nick Bosa is obviously bringing up holdings. And I think the biggest thing is like, look, you look at that Ravens game, the Ravens, the refs missed a lot of calls for the Ravens. They did. The Ravens should have had a safety probably on a tripping. They should have had a hold on a really long run. Those are two penalties that would have put the Ravens at 10 penalties. We're not talking about the panel. Like we're talking about missed penalties on the other side too. I saw so many missed penalties for the Chiefs. And that was kind of the whole context of like the original tweet that I had and where it started was like, look, let's not talk about the penalties that are called. We're saying that those should be called. We're talking about the ones that are missed. And right now there's, there's just been a lot of missed calls that have not been going both ways. In my opinion, there's been like more subtle taunting that is reciprocated and only called on one team. Like taunting's taunting. Like we all saw it. And Mm -hmm. I just think that these there's going to be we already know it. It's the NFL. The refs are going to come up in this Super Bowl and there's going to be discussion around it. And I don't want the woe is me any of that bullshit because they have been the least penalized team in the playoffs. And I don't yeah. like I don't know. I just think everyone argues about penalties all the time, but so many people only like to talk about one side of it. And I'm like, dude, just because I say that the Chiefs get help in penalties doesn't mean I didn't say yes there should have been penalties called on the Ravens. It's not like they're both can't exist. Hmm. There's just a theme. So let's just see how the theme plays out in the Super Bowl. And there's gamesmanship in some of this stuff too, right? I think the Ravens yeah. and the Chiefs game is a great example where you, Travis Kelsey is clearly egging on the Ravens to 
the entire know, time, the entire time. And then you have and Travis Kelsey's this veteran, been in the league for a long time. And then you have Zay Flowers, who's a rookie, and he gets a little excited after a play, and you know, does, you know, clearly he's taunting yeah. by pushing the guy. And it almost seems like there's just as his legs getting holded too. That's the shit that bothers me. So like, okay, Zay Flowers pushed the guy down and spun the ball in his face, which is a penalty. But yep. the first thing that happened was his leg was being held by the DB, and he wouldn't let him go, which is a defensive delay of game. And that's the stuff that's like, all right, if we're gonna like rip somebody for something. That actually should have been an offsetting penalty because the guy was holding his leg down. If it was a two-minute drill, they would have called that. It wasn't a two-minute drill, so they didn't view it as like delaying the game. That's a penalty. So sure. I'm just I I know that it's a lot of it's Twitter, a lot of it's the the black hole of the <laughs> internet. But these conversations do come up a lot. And I just like, look, guys, if I say something about some team in particular, I say both sides of it. Yeah. In this in the in the same exact game, I'm like praising Mahomes, talking about how amazing he is. Like, don't pick and choose which points you want to like bleed out and blow up because I'm calling everything as I see it. And if somebody's getting some favorable calls, there's nothing wrong with it. They still would have won the game. You know what I mean? Like they they still should have won the game. And you can't just say, oh, they took points off the board. Like, no. Just because the refs called a touchdown back doesn't mean that they didn't miss three holding calls that led to that touchdown even happening. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? It's just, um, I don't know. I, I hate picking and choosing in arguments that I'm seeing a lot of on the internet right now. And we're in this space and I wanted to just, I wanted to address it because we talk ball and we talk a lot of ball. And I think it's very important for fans to eventually grow up and evolve and just be a little more like, I don't know, knowledgeable about the conversations that we're having and not just close our eyes and see, see and hear things through the red lenses that we have. I, I mean, I think we're way off the deep end at this point. People think that the Chiefs going to the Super Bowl is some psyop by the U.S. government to get Joe Biden reelected. So if we can at least come back to the refing yeah. conversation, I think yeah. we've we've come back to a more <laughs> tolerable conversation. No doubt, no doubt. It's yeah, I it's um, I don't know, man. I think we we all just want we all want games to be officiated the right way, and we're so far away from that right now. But I don't know. I think when I see these arguments come up, when I see them come up in the context of this show, I'm like, look. Do we have bias? Yes. Was I rooting for the Packers a lot this year? Yes. Was I calling the Packers out on their shit when they sucked ass this year? Absolutely. And then as soon as Matt LaFleur wanted to call plays better, I started praising him. And that's just kind of how I go about everything. Like, yeah, same thing. If I'm seeing like BS calls being called, I'm going to, I'm going to say something. That's like kind of my job now. I'm like, kind of not commentator. I'm something. I don't know what I am, but I get paid to do it. So I'm going to talk about Mm -hmm. it. And then on the verse, like converse side of that, like, Brock Purdy sucked in the first half of the game last week. Then he played awesome in the second half. I can say both, and both are real, and they happened. There's nothing wrong with, like, it's not even flipping sides. It's just calling it as you see it as things change. I think that's the mark of somebody who actually watches football. I think we live in an ecosystem, like NFL fans live in an ecosystem where takes have to be binary, and you have to stick to them too. Like, flip-flopping is seen as a bad thing, but You're allowed to call someone having a bad game and having a good game. New information is coming yeah, in dude. and you're changing your opinion. Whereas exactly. like, you know, you have a skip Bayless who's always just going to be the Cowboys are great without, you know, new information presents itself, doesn't yep. change his opinion. And the problem with him is like people, it's a lot of people like him. They're like setting the stage for what's expected. We're like, no, Cowboys are great. It's like the cow. It's, uh, it's people like that, that when things are great, they talk about it all the time. And then when things are bad, they're silent versus 
hey, when things are good, talk about why they're good. When things are bad, talk about why they're bad. Like, don't just jump to the end result of they're amazing or Mm -hmm. they suck. How about we like have some contextual, like constructive conversations around what's act, what are we watching? You know what I mean? I just think that's what I hope to bring more to the space. And I've started to do this year, but I will get, it's a great point. My QB rankings that I did every week, I have people going back to like week 12, week 11. Like what the is Trevor Lawrence doing up here? He's asked, well, in like that time of the year, he was playing well. Now I wouldn't even put him in my top 20. It's a power ranking. Like I just think let's just get smarter as fans. If we're going to, if we're going to invest this much energy into this sport that we all love, let's just be willing to grow a little bit. Literally. That's all. And then you, and then you have Swifties out here that are, I mean, they're kind of out, you know, they're out talking ball against a lot of NFL, you know, claimed NFL fans that just have these tribal guttural takes that, you know, there's, there's, there's some Swifties out here that are no, they're getting to know ball a little bit better. And it's because they're fresh eyes. They're willing to, willing to see things from a different lens. They don't come with like this lifetime of baggage and opinions that they just can't move off of. Yeah, dude. I, I totally get that. Yeah. Well, now that we've spiraled away from the the, the 49ers. Yeah. I want to ask you one more thing before. So it's a huge game. Does a coach need to get their team like hyped up for this game? Or is there a a theme that they're talking about all this week? I'd imagine it's probably hard to keep focus. It's probably harder to keep focus than it is to get hyped up for this game. But, you know, what do you think the conversation on the 49ers side is as they lead into this game? Is there a theme that you think Shanahan's talking to the team about? Yeah, as far as theme goes, I think the general feel is like, look, make sure you're prepared and then make sure you're ready. And I think there's two different things. Like, there because football is such a like complex game, you have the mental side, you have the physical side, you have the emotional and spiritual side for some people. And it's like, whatever you the be, the coaches that said it to me best are like, look, whatever you have to do to get your mind, body, spirit ready by one o'clock or what 4:30 or night like whatever that time is whatever you have to do to get ready for that exact moment you do whether you're the person that has to watch a shit ton of film to feel like you're prepared or you have to watch just enough and then go work on your body or you have to like find a way to get the nerves out because you already know the game plan inside now you know everything and now it's just about like settling down whatever you have to do to get ready for kickoff to be able to leave it all out there and know that you did whatever you needed to do to be ready that's all you got to do and i think with a team like that, that's got so much experience, they have a lot of guys that have been there before. They are used to winning. They know what their process looks like to winning. They know that it just has to, all the hay has to be in the barn by kickoff. And then by kickoff, you have to make sure that you do what you need to do to win the game at all point. Like no matter what it takes, protecting the football, moving the chains, being good on third down, being good in the red zone. Like then the focus goes really narrow to like play by play. Like they say one play at a time. And like, that's a, whatever it's saying. But the actuality of it is, look, do whatever you can on this one play to make that your perfect play because taking care of the football in that play is more important than anything that could be coming up. And having your like alignment and assignment and everything perfect on that play is the only thing that matters because it's the only thing you control right now. And I think the really good teams have a really good way of narrowing their focus at the right time, at kickoff, mm-hmm. in that drive, in that game. Not on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of game week. Like that is for Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday of game week. That's your prep. That's like staying loose. So all of that to say it's very intentional focus at the right place at the right time on whatever's in front of you. I've been thinking about this this week, uh, talking about like 
the event around the Super Bowl. I imagine it's kind of like a neutral site ish game for a lot of these teams. Like I, I'd imagine the their experience being there is probably a little bit more sterile and a little easier to maneuver within the game, at least just mm-hmm. because it's more of a corporate crowd. There aren't a ton of fans. It's it's not a home leaning crowd one way or another, specifically in Las Vegas. Yeah. You know, each team gets the same amount of tickets to disperse to their respective fan bases, many of which aren't even actual fans that come to the game. So <laughs> yeah. like I can imagine the game itself, like you're probably thinking about all the implications, but when you're there, it probably doesn't actually feel that much bigger or that much more important than maybe the, you know, the divisional round championship you played the week before, just because there was a lot more energy in the building. It's total speculation, but it's different. Yeah, it's different. And it's like, it's almost so big. All eyes are on you that it's like, you have no choice, but to like focus in and Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I didn't like some teams have even said like, it's easier to play away games sometimes because like you have, it's easier to focus. It's easy. Like you have less, distractions and like i don't know i i do feel that i think the super bowl is going to have a lot of distractions i think yeah. there's going to be a lot of storylines a lot of this and that but i think once the whistle first whistle blows like um man I'm, i just i think we're going to get the best version of both teams i don't think some team i don't think either team is going to come out and just lay a goose egg i, I don't think these teams are built that way especially because both these teams have been here before mm-hmm. they are probably some of that allure and luster it probably goes away after the first time you're like you know what there's a couple extra questions I have to ask answers throughout the week, but this is another game and yeah. you probably don't have like the wide eye, like, Oh my God, I can't believe I'm, I'm here sort of a thing. Yeah. Both these teams are very like heavy vet built. So yeah, it's not like you have a team, either of these teams, like neither should not be here. You know what I mean? Or like neither mm-hmm. have not been to this point before. So, um, and if this game's going to come down to like, in my opinion, I'm looking at the one guy who hasn't done this or hasn't been around this. It's Brock Purdy. Like mm-hmm. CMC, he hasn't been to a Super Bowl, but like he's played football at a high level for a really long time. Debo, Kittle, Ayuk, Nick Bosa, Fred Warner, like those guys have done it. Mahomes, Kelsey, like Chris Jones, like it's Brock Purdy, man. Which yeah. version of Purdy is going to show up at the Super Bowl? Because Brock Purdy could very easily win Super Bowl MVP. And I, I, like I can actually see that happening. So we'll see. Which would be, I mean, that would just be a, a nuclear missile thrown in the middle of the Brock I need to go Brock see what Purdy his dialogue. odds are, man. <laughs> the, the Brock Purdy. I mean, that's usually how it goes. But you could also see out of any team in the NFL, if that team wins the Super Bowl and their quarterback wasn't going to win Super Bowl MVP, the 49ers are probably one of those teams where it's like they have so many guys that you could see Christian McCaffrey winning Super Bowl MVP yeah. because that's just who they run the game through. It could be a CMC game. It could be one of those Debo games where he has like, eight catches 200 yards four carries 80 yards like you know what i mean like yeah. who who the hell knows that's um, probably actually one of the worst teams to bet oh dude yeah, like, yeah, no, no. <laughs> yeah 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 for sure um okay well next time we do this kurt we're gonna be in person we'll yep. be talking about the chiefs i, I imagine the, the script baby flipping the script i imagine it'll be a lot of like patrick mahomes and we can just bring a bunch of stats regarding how good patrick mahomes is because he has such a huge body of work now in the mm-hmm. super bowl alone that we could that we could go over but we'll be doing it in person in las vegas i cannot wait man it's gonna be fun first time officially seeing each other in person it's gonna be a blast it's gonna be tall, a good time tall tyler tall, t- tall I tyler i did not appreciate the clip that went out this week of, oh, regarding well, me man. being short i don't have anything to do with that <laughs> and and all of a sudden and then i'm getting sent comments on youtube where people are saying that now i'm like I'm getting ahead of the fact that I am short and they're, you know, accusing me of being Respect. five foot eight. There's a bounty that was put on my head. Apparently if somebody comes up to me and is taller than me, you know, there's some sleeper credit oh, getting thrown around. Amazing. Like amazing. I love it. I love it. So here. I'm, I'm wearing lifts to the Super Bowl, so I can be 
six six three because I'm actually Respect. six one. I'll say again. Respect. When you stop talking about it, then I'll you know, stop. Stop. Okay, you're excited. But, yeah, I'm, so, I'm excited. excited. Show out and be my my true height. Here we go, man. Well, I will see you on Wednesday. Everyone that's watching, thanks for watching. We're excited to get to it. Going to be having some new content coming out this week from Super Bowl. Stay tuned. It'll be fun. Until next time with the Chiefs. Catch you guys.